This morning we're going to be in 1 John 2, and we're going in verses 18 through 29. We're in 1 John and just really digging into this letter that John wrote to uh, just a, a range of churches. He didn't have a specific church in mind. It was just uh, this letter written to go out to share his wisdom with the next generation. And we're seeing some themes kind of emerge from this letter, from this book that we're studying. And, and some of those themes are, are joy. Uh, John writes that, that that our joy may be complete. That's why he's one of the reasons he's writing this book is, is so that we can understand that we can have complete joy. Another common theme in this book is, is the word uh, abiding or to abide. And so we've talked about how that means to, to live with or to fellowship with, this, this deep sense of fellowship we can have with God through Jesus Christ. It's just amazing. And as John is writing this, he's describing this life we can live as Christians uh, as we have been set free from sin and death by the blood of Jesus. We can be set free uh, to live a life that's different from our former life. And that's really what, what John is trying to point to. He's trying to say, look, your life should be different at, with Jesus than it was without Jesus. It, it should be, there should be a, a marked difference in how you live, how you act, how you uh, respond to people. And so he's really talking about fellowship with, with God, but also fellowship with each other and, and how uh, we're to live this out. And this morning, we're going to see a, an attack on that fellowship. We're going to see him warn us. This is kind of a, a shift in, in uh, subject matter as John goes from talking about all the things we are and how we access this joy and this peace and this abiding with Jesus to then warning us of some things that steal that. Last week, we talked about uh, the world and how the world system and influence can steal that fellowship and that joy that we have uh, with God away from us if we let the world influence uh, our behavior, our priorities, our morals, anything. Really, if we're focusing on the world, it, it takes that joy away from us and that fellowship that's so needed in our relationship with Jesus. And so this morning we're going to see another thing that attacks that fellowship, attacks that joy. And um, as we open verse 18, we're also going to see some promises that emerge from this warning. John's going to warn us, but like a good teacher, he's not just going to leave us with the warning. He's going to go, okay, here's the warning. Now, let's look at some promises. Let's look at some things that, that we can hold on to as we uh, focus on what God is doing in this world. So let's open 1 John two eighteen. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if, the one, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He Himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. 
As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this promise. Thank you for this warning. Lord, we we pray that as we unpack this and talk about this this morning, that that you would speak to our hearts comfort, you would speak to our hearts confidence, Lord, and you would speak to us about things in our lives that that don't belong, things that are not of God, things that are not part of your will and your plan for our life. Amen. Awesome. So, as I was studying for this, it's Thanksgiving week where we're doing uh, a lot of prepping and festivities and, and everything, and then right after Thanksgiving, what happens? Christmas starts, right? Uh, we put up our tree yesterday. We, we were getting all fa-la-la. And I opened the, uh, the text on the, at the beginning of the week and go, hmm, Antichrist. Cool. How does that work with uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving and all of this? And as I studied, I was just blown away because I, I came into it with a, a definite um, set mind that, oh, man, this isn't going to fit. You know, this, we're not going to be able to connect these things. It's going to just be uh, one of those weeks where it's kind of it seemed out of place. And God blew me away with, with the fact that, no, of course, and I should have known, of course, when you open his word, it all points to his plan of Jesus. It all points to Jesus. And John is so wonderful to just over and over again give warning but point to Jesus. Give warning about the world but always direct us back to fellowship with God through Jesus. Give warning about uh, these coming things, false teachers, antichrist, anti-Christian things in the world that attack us but always point back to Jesus. So I wanted to preface this as we go through this verse by verse. Um, there, it definitely hit me hard how much this relates to our season of life and to any season of life that you're in. Uh, this is not something that we look at and go, oh yes, that's for some uh, conspiracy theorists down the line and, and not for me. Let's open this up. Uh, verse 18. Paul says children. I love that Paul uses this, uh, this greeting so much in this book. He used it a couple weeks ago when he said, dear children, my dear little children. And in that case, he was actually talking about uh, people who were spiritually newborn, uh, babies in Christ, people who had just met Jesus. And he says, dear children, you, you just you focus on your relationship with God. You focus on the fact that, that God um, gave you a relationship through Jesus. But now, he's just using it as a general endearing term. And, and John came so far because in, in previous years in John's life, we know one example, they go to a Samaritan town, the disciples are out, preaching, Jesus sends them out, hey, go go preach the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand, preach it to this Samaritan town, and Samaritan town rejects that message, right, and John and James, they come back, and they're like, hey, Jesus, that town totally didn't accept you, let's bring down fire and take them out, that was John's heart, he was like, if they don't accept Jesus, if they don't, if they don't follow what I say, just take them out. Right, and now John is writing to uh, an, an area in, in Asia Minor, mostly Gentile. Right? There, there were some Jews there, but mostly Gentile. Samaritans were hated by Jews so much because uh, they, didn't, they weren't purebred Jews. They, weren't, they didn't follow the, the, the lineage of uh, all the way back to Abraham the way that the, the pure Jews felt like they should have. Right now he's writing to Gentiles, non-Jews, saying, Dear children, 
I love you guys. This is awesome. I'm encouraging you. And, and, and this is what he says. It is the last hour. He says, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, John is waiting with bated breath for Jesus to come back. He says, it's the last hour. Now, how could he say that? That was 2,000 years ago. Right? How could it be the last hour if that was 2,000 years ago and, and Jesus hasn't come back? He, he lived with anticipation for the coming of Jesus. And what did Jesus had told them? I'm coming back. Get busy while I'm gone, but I'm coming back. It was a promise that they had heard. And, and so he says, it's the last hour. I see that Jesus, things he promised are happening. And, and it's the last hour. He, he waited every moment for Jesus to come back. And his life reflected that. And so that's one of, going to be one of the themes that we see this morning as, as John uh, calls us to do the same. We know that every minute is one minute closer to the return of Jesus. We don't know when he's coming. He said, you won't know. I, I'm, I'm going to show up and, and no one will know. We, we gave us some markers to see in Scripture, to see when the timing is coming. And John was seeing some of those markers and going, man, it's almost here. Dear children, the last hour is here. And one of the things that he saw that was happening in the world was that there was a, a attitude that was prevalent in the church and outside of the church of, of anti-Christ behavior. Behavior and teaching that was, that was against what Christ had said. So he says, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. That's another thing. He says, it, the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist that is talked about in Revelation. John is the only one that uses um, that phrase, Antichrist. But all throughout Scripture, there's descriptions, different descriptions of this, this person or, or system of of living and believing that, that is pointed to. The, uh, Daniel calls him the little horn. He also calls him the king of fierce countenance. Uh, we, we see in John that he calls him, he comes in his own name. Um, Paul in first, uh, Second Thessalonians calls him the son of perdition or the man of sin. So we know that, that there is uh, someone coming that will bring this Antichrist behavior, but then John says he's he's not the only one. He says even now many antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. What is John talking about? We've all heard of the antichrist, right? We've all heard of, and it's like we see movies and it's played up as this like evil person with six 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 tattooed on their forehead and all that, and and which is not biblical. Um, we see that the antichrist will come and woo a lot of people to him. He, he's he's not going to be someone with horns and a pitchfork. He's going to be someone who looks really 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 good, like makes a lot of sense, like brings world peace. All this stuff, right? But, but what we see is that John says, many, now many antichrists have come. John's warning here is, is that there are people and false teachers that come in that, that have this antichrist attitude. And anti, for us, means opposite, right? But in, in Latin, it could mean opposite or it could mean instead of instead of Christ. I think that gives us a, a better, maybe a more clear understanding of what John's talking about. There were people in his midst that, that were part of the church that were coming up and, and offering ways of living that were instead of Jesus. Antichrist. There were people for sure coming up offering contrary ideas to the teachings of Jesus. But there were also people that were coming up and saying, oh, no, 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 that, that, that way of living is fine, but let me offer you another better solution to salvation, another better way to live that cuts Jesus out. Because Jesus desires your all, right? Desires you to admit that you're wrong and, and lay down your life and, and daily be crucified with Christ. And that's hard. So I'm going to offer you something different that's... that's, um, that's uh, uh, easier maybe, or, or more uh, easy to digest, more easy to understand, more easy to live out. 
And, and Paul was saying, sorry, John was saying, I do that every Sunday. Um, John was saying that, that that kind of teaching is dangerous. That kind of teaching is, is anti-Christ. John is warning his little children who, who are under him in, uh, in way of discipleship to watch out for that kind of teaching. Watch out for, for these people. We know that this time of year we're, we're looking at uh, we're looking towards Christmas and the, the coming of Jesus, and and I think the second coming of Jesus, uh, it, it unfortunately in our culture gets a lot of kind of jokes made about it or people kind of veer away from it because it's like oh man there's a lot of a lot of prophecy a lot to sort through and 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 some people really really get excited and and dig into it, and then other people get really turned off by it. But it's, it's really interesting that this time of year we're celebrating the coming of Jesus at Christmas, right? And, and we know that we know that Jesus was, was a historical person. And we know that he came. We know so much about his life. He was born in a manger, lived 33 years on this earth, had disciples, taught, walked to this earth. We know that, right? But if you look at the prophecies about Jesus' coming to this earth, his first coming, there are far fewer promises about his first coming than there are about his second coming. I think it's about three times as many promises about Jesus' second coming. So now, 2,000 years removed, it's, it's easy for us to go, man, it was easy for John to think Jesus was coming right back because you know, it was the same generation. It was easy for John to say, oh yeah, Jesus said he would come back. Um, I walked with him and, and he said he'd be right back. So man, it must be the last hour. I'm getting pretty old. It must be the last hour Jesus is coming back. But now 2,000 years removed, I think we can get jaded by that. We can look at the world and go, oh man, uh, the world is so far from Jesus right now. As a whole, there are so many people out there hurting and, and broken and, and, and kind of start to think maybe the jokes are right or maybe people are right and, and not have that fire for Jesus coming back and be going around uh, you know, talking about this promise and, and taking confidence in this promise. But as we look at this time of year and, and Christmas, John had so much confidence that Jesus was coming back, and we should too. He says, by this we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19, they went out from us. Now these are the people he was talking about, the, the anti-Christ, uh, anti-Christian teaching, anti-false, the false prophets. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. John's not making stuff up here. He's not speaking hypothetically here. You know, Paul, sometimes he'll speak hypothetically. John is talking about real, real people. People that he probably ministered to. People within his... Uh, body of Christ, and it's not people from in His church necessarily. This wasn't people. This, these weren't people who jumped uh, ship and went to a different church. These aren't people who decided to uh, worship or fellowship with a different group. These are people who were part of the body of Christ. That, that, that some of them, um, scholars believe, were leaders among the the church as a whole. And John would have discipled them. He would have trained them. He would have talked to them. And, and so when he writes this, you can almost feel the pain in his voice and say, man, I'm taking confidence that this is the last hour because these, these people, this group, they, they, didn't, they, they went out from us, but they didn't belong to us. And, and, and if they had belonged to us, they, they would remain with us. People who have given their life to Jesus and, and are leading and, and guiding the church, they, they would continue to do that, continue to follow the Lord. He says, however, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. 
It says they, they went out, they left what we were doing, and they, I'm sure they took people with them. What, what John is fighting here and warning against is, is this teaching um, called Gnosticism that was very prevalent in this day. And the teaching went like this, that, that we as humans were, were flesh and were spirit, but the flesh and the spirit are two different things. And, and that we can do whatever we want with our flesh because it doesn't affect us spiritually. And, and John, and, and so then in that case, they start pointing to themselves as um, the, the way of being saved because they're like, well, my spiritual side is, is perfect. And, and so I can do whatever I want with the flesh and I can teach other people to follow that way as well. And they take Jesus out of the equation. They had spirituality, but without Jesus. And that's why so he uses the word truth so much. If you read this book, you're like, wow, he uses the word truth a lot. And, and he, he uses the word, the idea that um, he's writing this to people um, to get them, get their attention because he cares about them. But he also uses the idea is if you're following Jesus, your life will reflect that. You will live a certain way. There will be indicators of you following Jesus. So this wasn't just hypothetical stuff that John's dealing with. He's dealing with actual teaching that was in the church. And he's saying, man, this is hurting the body. Run away from this. When you see this anti-Christ attitude within the church, run away from it. Now he starts getting into some encouragement. Verse 20, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. In contrast to the false teachers, this antichrist behavior, this antichrist attitude that was coming into their church, he says, you, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You are different. And, and how are they different? What is he talking about here? What is this anointing? This anointing is, is referring to the Spirit of God um, being poured out on our lives. And, and what, who does this? The Holy One, right? Who is that? Jesus is referred to as the Holy One over and over and over again in Scripture. And so as we see that, that Jesus um, pours out the Holy Spirit on our lives as we follow Him, we know that we are all anointed as followers of Jesus. This isn't some sort of... Uh, Delineation for special Christians or super spiritual Christians or, or Christians who are, are super important. This is people who follow Jesus are given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives and works in our lives to help us. How, man, what confidence we can take with that. And so our first uh, takeaway point this morning is we have an anointing. We have a helper. Should be on the screen. Anointing, we have a helper. And, and what this looks like, and what John is talking about here, is, is we have discernment as we follow Jesus, as we come in contact with people and teachings and, um, and are in ministry. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us through this. Whether it's Antichrist little a or or a big world system that is against Jesus, we have a helper. We're, we are a, above that because the Holy Spirit works through us. And then he says, because, um, and we know all the, you all know the truth. Now, that's kind of a bold statement. He's saying, he's just writing this out to everyone, saying, you know, you guys know the truth. Hmm. I don't know that I would tell like just a, bunch, a big group of people, you know the truth. But John can do that confidently because if as followers of Jesus, we have the guide and the helper of the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit will help us know the truth as we're following Jesus. And this all comes back to fellowship and fellowship with God. As we spend time with God, as we spend time in His Word, the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth to us, and, and we can say, man, I know, I can have confidence that I know the truth as the Holy Spirit shows us. What an encouraging promise that is. He says, verse 21, 
I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie has comes from the truth. Once again, John wants to make sure that we understand that, that he's writing this letter because he cares about us. And Paul did the same thing in Romans, actually. It was almost word for word. He says, I'm not writing you guys this because you don't know the truth, because you're off base, or because you have a problem. I'm writing you to encourage you that, that you do know the truth and to continue on in that. He'll go on to talk about remaining or abiding and how important that is. John is encouraging this group of Christians, this group of believers, um, that as they follow Jesus, they will know the truth. We don't have to waver on what is truth, what is not truth. The, the world is uh, so populated with people who are trying to figure out truth, right? And there's this idea that truth is relative, that truth is defined by individuals in that time, depending on their uh, experience in life. But man, that makes people anxious. And, and because then they have to figure out what their truth is at the moment, right? And if we let that creep into the church and we're like, oh yeah, okay, well I know the Bible speaks about truth, but, but what really is truth or, or is, is what God says true or how I feel, are my emotions true? We, we walk around with this anxiety because we can, we can talk ourselves out of the joy that Jesus died for us to have. We can talk ourselves out of that complete joy and complete fellowship as we go, oh man, I, I have to figure all this out on my own. And John is saying, no, I'm writing you because you know the truth, because the Holy Spirit is living and active in your life. And as you read the truth of God's word, you will have confidence uh, that you can walk with Jesus in truth. He says, because no lie comes from the truth. So beautiful. How would it be if we started really living like we knew the truth? There's so much, so many times in, in my life even when people are like, oh man, what, what, is, what does the Bible say about this? And, and I, being real honest, sometimes I'm hesitant. Even though I know the truth, sometimes I'm hesitant to speak the truth to people because I know it directly uh, is opposite of their worldview. And sometimes I'm like, man, I know the truth, but, but if I tell them the truth on this matter, it's going to be opposite of their thinking. But if we really believed and said, man, this is the truth, and the truth shall set you free, then, man, share that with them. Don't, don't be hesitant on this. Be confident in, in the truth of God's word and, and share that in season, and God will use it. It's not up to us. If people are offended, like, God can use that. If, if people aren't offended, God can use that. It's not us to, up to us. It's the Holy Spirit working in the world to, to draw people to him. And, and in the life of the believer, that work looks like helping and guiding and giving confidence um, when it comes to the truth of God's word. John goes on. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So he describes a little bit more what the spirit or attitude or teaching of Antichrist looks like. And what it looks like is someone who denies the Father and the Son. He says, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He's talking about truth and he's talking about lies. And, and so if we come across teaching that, that we see that denies the Father or denies the Son or denies the Holy Spirit, that that is anti-Christ teaching. The, the teaching of the Bible involves a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a lot of people want to talk about God and want to say, oh yeah, no, I follow God or or teachers come in and be like, man, oh, let me tell you about God. But if you listen to them long enough, they will never say Jesus. Right? That's a red flag right there. And I've, we've talked to a lot of people that are like, oh, man, well, all churches are pretty much the same, right? All, all, all 
teaching, Christian teaching, it's all Christian, right? And that's so dangerous because if you listen to a, a lot of the teaching, it's like Paul, John is saying here, he goes, no, there's, there's people within the church that can teach from an anti-Christ attitude. And if, and if you're all about God and, and you're leaving Jesus out, then that's a really big problem. And if, and if you're all about the Holy Spirit, but, but you're not acknowledging God the Father or God the Son, then that's a really big problem too. And, and, and so John is saying, this is what the Antichrist, little a, that Antichrist attitude will look like, that will also look like the Antichrist as well. It will be anti Jesus, anti-God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Jesus said in John 12, 44 through 45, he said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. God the Father sent Jesus, his son Jesus, to be flesh and dwell among us. But Jesus said by his own words, if, if you believe in me, you, you believe in the Father. You believe in the one who sent me. If you see me, you see the Father. That's what got him killed, right? Statements like that. Because Jewish leaders were like, uh, that's blasphemy. And it, it is, if it's not true. But we know that it's true, so he can say it. Right? And so as we look at statements like this, we know that, that you can't deny one and have the other. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In John thirteen twenty, Jesus said, He who receives me receives him who sent me. And so John is just reiterating that. He says, he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. These are the, these are the tests that we go through as we look at teaching and whether it's false or true. But these are also things we can look at in our own life. Are, are we following Jesus? Or are we just talking about God in this general sense? Are we following the Father as we look at Jesus? Or are we just focusing on one attribute of Jesus? Oh, I want to follow Jesus because he's love. No, we follow Jesus because he's God the Father in flesh who dwelt among us and then made a way for us to have a relationship with the Father through his blood. It's the whole package. It's not just little pieces of it. And it's real easy for in our lives to, to creep in and just have one little piece. I had a friend um, who had... Uh, rough experience with the church and got burned and, and um, he, he came out of it just being like I just, I'm going to just focus on God I can't even think about the Holy Spirit and Jesus because I, I'm, I'm so burned and I was just so sad for him and, and as he, he went along his, his sort of faith turned into this just broad thing of just, just God in general and, and as we look at our own lives, we can, we can see these ideas start to creep in where sometimes we're like, man, I just want to take a little bit of scripture. I just like the parts about love, or I just like the parts about uh, being a good person, or I just like, I don't like the parts about Antichrist. It's Christmas. We, wanna, we don't want to teach that. Right? And so that's why I love that we teach verse by verse because it forces us to do this and, and teach about all these things that the Bible has to offer and, and find the blessing in and find the promise in them. But, but it's also easy to just um, look at how our emotions are driving us and, and, and just do what feels good in the moment with regard to the Bible and with regard to our relationship with Jesus. And what John is encouraging us to do is, is no, focus on the truth. Focus on God's word. Focus on... Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and, and to really have that relationship with all three, the triune God. Verse 24 marks a bit of a, a different subject matter. He says, 
what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. I've called this little section fight for fellowship. This is where the fight starts. We have an attack on fellowship that comes from this uh, antichrist attitude. And this is where we turn around and fight. The New King James Version uh, says of this verse, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Father, or in the Son, and in the Father. There's that word abide. John loves this word. And I've honestly grown to love this word as well. We don't use it that much, but he's talking about living with and fellowshipping with. So he says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Our translation uses the word remain. It's the same thing, but we use the word like like remain, like to stay with, or, or oh man, um, I'm, I'm going to remain happy even though things are going poorly, right? And, and what this word abide and, and the word remain in this context really means is that, that you stay living with, attached to, fellowshipping with. So it's a, it's a broader word. But he says, what you heard from the beginning, the, the basics of Christianity, what we taught you from the beginning, when you, when you heard about Jesus and you were like, yes, I am a sinner, I am broken, I need salvation. I want to give my life to Jesus. He says, let that remain in you. Don't, don't try and go after some new thing and, and, and try and go into some new uh, experience. Just focus on what you heard from the beginning. If you have heard what, if you have, if what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. If you focus on on what the Bible says and the, the basics of Christianity, it's always going to point you back to Jesus and your relationship with God. It's it's not going to point you in all these different directions where anti-Christian behavior comes in. And, and it's funny because a lot of these false teachers that John was dealing with, they weren't using scripture. They, they were using what, whatever um, people were feeling or, or, or how this idea of, man, what's best for me? And, and John says, if you focus on scripture, you won't get blown off course. Our second takeaway is abide. We have a relationship. That's what what John's talking about here. He's talking about the relationship we have with Jesus. And that relationship, as we read God's word, the Holy Spirit uh, helps us understand and points to the truth, but, but it's something that takes work. It's something that takes time. It's something that takes, just like we talked about, that relationship between a husband and wife takes effort. If I told you um, that the last time I talked to my wife was like, on our wedding day, you would be like, I don't even know if you're married, right? And so if, if we look at our relationship with Jesus and we see that we are wavering or that we're um, having a hard time understanding between um, what's true and what's false and, or not focusing on uh, Jesus or, or not being able to understand God the Father, we can look and say, oh man, abide in Him. Just hang out with Jesus. Spend time in prayer. Spend time uh, in meditating on scripture. Spend time with him. And, and he will show you the truth in this way. And we'll have confidence. Charles Spurgeon said, we abide in him not by a physical law as a mass of iron abides on the earth, but by a mental and spiritual law by which the greatness of divine love and goodness holds us fast to the Lord Jesus. So it's not like something where we just have to hold on with all our might to Jesus. It's something that we are. It's something that, that as we fellowship, as we call ourselves Christians, we are abiding with Christ and, and we'll have a desire to spend that time with him. Verse 25. There's blessing from abiding in the truth and in God. 
And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. This is the promise. As we abide in him, as we remain in him, and as we um, spend time with, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that, that we will have eternal life promised to us. Now we think of eternal life as this thing like we get to have one day, right? Some immortality that we, we get to acquire. But John seventeen three tells us, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, is, is this fellowship with Jesus. And, and we get to that promise of eternal life, that promise of a life that's different from what the world offers, as we fellowship and abide with him. That's the blessing of abiding in the truth is eternal life. Eternal life is mentioned um, six times in this short letter as another theme that John really, really likes. We'll talk more about it as we get into some of the later chapters. But, but in the Gospel of John, he also focuses on eternal life a lot. And he says this is not something that the believer might have, but it's the promise of God to all who believe. Eternal life. This life with God. And so after we die, what is, what is eternal life? It's life with God. It's life with Jesus. What is it on here on earth? It's life with God. It's life with Jesus. Here on earth, we have uh, our flesh to deal with. We have this fallen world to deal with. And so in, in heaven, it will be a, a perfected relationship with the Lord. But, but here on earth, we can experience that eternal life as we have fellowship with God through Jesus. Such a, man, such a blessing and, and such a different way of looking at following the Lord. Because we, we can look at it like, oh man, um, well, I go to church on Sunday and, you know, I sing a couple songs here and there. And yeah, yeah, I celebrate Jesus at Christmas and Easter and maybe even serve in ministry. But the idea of looking at our life with Christ as like, man, how do I fellowship? How do I abide? How do I spend time with Christ? And so I can experience that eternal life that's promised to me. That's a different way of looking at it. And it'll, it'll kind of change that idea of like, oh, drudgery, I have to have a quiet time. Or, oh, man, uh, I, I guess I should probably read my Bible. I should probably pray more to like, wow, I get to spend time with my heavenly father, the creator of the universe. I, I get to open his word and see him tell me over and over again that he loves me. And, and I get to um, be renewed and, and given confidence as I look at the promises he's given to me. Different way to look at it. And that's, I, that's what John is saying. He's saying, don't let those false teachers get you off track, but you abide in Christ. You spend time with Jesus and, and, and his promises of eternal life. And he says, 26, I have written to you these things, written to you these things concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it is taught, you remain in him. John's recapping here. And, and what he's doing is he's saying, he's not saying, don't let anyone teach you. But what he's saying is, you have been taught these things. You know the Holy Spirit will guide you as you spend time with God in his word. And he will show you the truth. So you don't need these false teachers coming in and offering more, you know, or a different way, or, or a, a, man, a way that counts Jesus out. You don't need that. You don't need anyone to teach you. You know the basics. You know what's important to God, and you can follow him by spending time with him and abiding with him. Just, and I love how he wraps it up. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. And just abide in Christ. 
Verse 28 says, So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. John is saying, as we abide in him, we can have confidence in his promise that he's coming. And he's also making the point here that, that if we're not abiding him, if we don't have that relationship with him and are expectant of his coming, he'll show up and, and we might be embarrassed. We might be doing something that, that is like not following Jesus. Or we might be doing something where we're like, whoa, I didn't expect you to come. And, and what he's saying is like, if, you're having, if you have fellowship with Jesus and you're expecting that he's going to come any second, it won't surprise you. Now, this Sunday is the first Sunday of, of a season that many Christians celebrate, many of us grew up celebrating, um, called Advent. Some of us didn't grow up celebrating this. But um, is, this Sunday is also Advent Sunday, so it's the, the fourth Sunday from Christmas. And as I was doing a little bit of research and, uh, and kind of what this is all about, is uh, it's a time to prepare our hearts for the fulfillment of God's promise to celebrate this fulfillment of God's promise. And so a lot of times the, the scripture reads the time in God's word will be looking at the promises in the Old Testament about Jesus' coming. And, and it's time to, to spend with the Lord, a special time to carve out and go, man, all right, Lord, I, I want to devote this time to, to really prepare my heart to then on Christmas to to understand what we're celebrating. We're not celebrating Santa. We're not celebrating presents. We're not celebrating anything. We're, we're celebrating the love of Jesus. All that stuff is fun. But, but what we're really celebrating is the love of Jesus and, and the promise fulfilled in Christ. And, and the word Advent is a, is a version of the Latin word meaning coming. And so as I was studying this and, and looking at... Uh, the season we're in and going, man, there's a disconnect here. I just chuckled when I realized that, that Advent is the word coming in. And verse 28 says, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Right? There, like we said before, there are so many more verses about Jesus' second coming than promises than there are about his first coming. And we, during this time, we celebrate his, sec, his, his first coming to the earth. And, and Advent, part of Advent is actually celebrating his coming into our life and his second coming as well. But as we look at this verse and we, we see that we have a promise in his coming, we know that it's, it's not something that we have to just sort of think about as some far off thing that might happen or might not or or how do we wrap our heads around it but it's something that is promised in God's word and we can look forward to Jesus is coming back and we say come quickly Lord Jesus it's interesting to me though as we close we have this promise of his return and and we know that uh, we should live every second as if Jesus is coming back but when you look at John's life, it's like, man, how, why was he so fired up about Jesus coming back? How, how did the apostles know that Jesus was coming back? Because Jesus told them he was coming back, but why was he so expectant of it, you know? Why, why, was, why does he put so much emphasis through the letters he writes on Jesus' return? And as I was thinking about it and praying about it, I realized that John was excited to see his friend again. Jesus walked with John. Like, John had a relationship with Jesus, a physical relationship with Jesus. Like, that time when John wanted to call down fire from heaven, he was speaking with Jesus. And Jesus just lovingly said, you guys don't get it. (laughs) And then he watched Jesus be crucified. He's the only one at the cross. And Jesus looked down and said, hey, take care of my mom when I'm gone. 
And, and Jesus, he could remember those, those times when, when Jesus healed people and, and, and took care of the sick and healed the broken, set the captives free. John could remember the time when, when John the Baptist sent his followers to Jesus and said, hey, did, did we follow the wrong guy? I'm in prison. I'm, a, I'm about to get executed. And did we follow the wrong person? And Jesus said, you tell John, you go back and tell John that, that the blind see, that the captive are set free, that the lame walk. Right? John had that time with Jesus. And so he just wanted, he wanted to see the Messiah again, but he just wanted to see his friend again. Right? He was excited about seeing his friend again. Right? That's not that different from how we should be experiencing the Lord. Right? We should be excited about Jesus coming back because we want to be physically with our friend, someone we know and someone we've gotten, we've seen when he healed people through us. When he, we've seen him set the captive free in our lives. We've seen him work in love and touch other people. And, and we've seen when he, in his word where he said, you know what, I love you. You may mess up, I love you. You may say stupid things, but I love you. And we, we should have that kind of abiding relation. That's what John's talking about here. He's, he's pulling from, from physical experience and saying, like, I walked with Jesus. I was his disciple for three years. And you can have that same relationship. You can be a disciple of Jesus and walk with him every day of your life, just as John has every day since Jesus' ascension. It didn't mean like Jesus ascended up to heaven and John was like, well, that was fun. Now I'm going to go do something different. He was like, every day, Lord, remember that time when, when we were on the Sea of Galilee and you calmed the storm? Man, that was, that was really cool. When are you coming back? And just like we can do in our own lives. We're like, hey man, Jesus, remember that time when, when everything in my life was falling apart? And you were there and you went, calm the storm in my heart. And you just went, peace. I give to you peace that's unexplainable. And you're like, that was really cool. When are you coming back? When can we be together? That's the kind of relationship we're talking about here. So we have a promise of his coming. Let's celebrate that together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Verse Church podcast. We're stoked that you joined us. We would like to invite you to join us live Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For more information or to give to this ministry, visit www.verse.church. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to the Verse Church podcast. This is a message from our Sunday morning service recorded live in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Enjoy.